PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to PHRA's podcast, P4 People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. Before we kick off the show, I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Lattice and the University of Pittsburgh, Executive MBA Programs, and Center for Executive Education. P4's host, sponsor, and PHRA volunteer, Pete Schramm is the founder of Lattice, a human connection platform for cultivating engagement through conversations. And now, a word from our Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education sponsor. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked Executive MBA in Healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pit.edu slash EMBA healthcare. In this episode, Pete Schramm, P4 host and founder of Lattice, will discuss with John Poutier the value of genuinely connecting with people. John, I'm pretty excited to dig into everything with you today. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing more of your perspective. It's been a pleasure getting to meet you over the last few months and learn a lot more about your impact, not only to the HR community, but to our Western Pennsylvania region, and in turn, uh, the country. And actually, there's a little bit of a global uh, sliver to that as well. So everybody who's listening today, get super excited to hear what John Poutier has to share. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is, you know, John, who the heck are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you figure that out, help me out, okay? <laughs> I, I've been a lifetime HR guy, uh, even though I've strayed uh, off the course a couple of times, but I still had my HR practices and principles in my pocket. But uh, I've been kind of a maverick in the world of HR before it was even called HR. And so I've seen the evolution and the revolutions of, of the profession. And uh, I my, my first career position in HR was with PPG, which is how I ended up in Pittsburgh. And I got great training there for 10 years. And I uh, think that was really a very valuable indoctrination into the, the world of the corporate world as well as the HR world. So uh, I really benefited from that 10 years. But then I, I went back to grad school at American University and got my MS in, in organizational behavior and started my own practice and stayed in that for 25 years. And that was a lot of HR, although I didn't call it that, it was really process improvement and customer satisfaction. And they, those all weave together under, I think, an umbrella of HR, whether you think that they do or not, uh, because in every, every aspect of an organization, the people are the difference. People are the difference. All right, I, I love that. And American University, they're the Eagles, right? <laughs> that's i don't know they are the american eagles <laughs> well go, go, that, go I, I think you're right it's been a long time <laughs> so we'll still be cheer, cheering on for the eagles as we're considering you know all the important pieces of people uh you know in the workplace so whenever we think about you know whenever you were growing up john uh you know before you found yourself in those shoes at ppg what did you want to be what got you're, you fired up on the inside? You're assuming I've grown up. <laughs> Fair point. You know, there's a great quote. I think it was, uh, uh, I can't remember who it was, but he said, the, the secret to a happy life is to die young, but to delay it for as long as possible. 
So that's been kind of my mantra too. So I'm getting old physically, but my brain is still still a kid. But back to your original question. Uh, when I first started, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I mean, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a music major. And I wasn't that good. And I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to be a starving artist. So I took a bunch of psychological tests at the undergrad school I went to. And they said I was strong in business and psychology. And they were right. And I've never strayed from that combination of, of uh, skill sets my entire career. But when I first started, I, I made a practice of listening more than talking, uh, which was not easy for me. And uh, <laughs> but if you're if you are starting out in any career, whether it's HR or anything else, I really believe that God created us with two ears and one mouth for a reason. And uh, so you should listen more than more than talk. And if you are talking, you should be asking questions. Well, let me ask you another question right. and use more of my my big mouth for some of the talking here. So you 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 shared that you had uh, not an HR degree for, you know, educational undergrad and grad school, but you've been, you know, very active in HR for decades. Again, well, on, I on did a have, scene. Yeah, I did have an HR degree under undergraduate, only back then it was called industrial psychology and, uh, and personnel management. In fact, SHRM used to be ASPA, American Society of Personnel Administration. So now I'm really showing my years. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I have been in and out of HR my entire career. And, uh, my, I think my education was very aligned with that. Got it. So that's, that's helpful for people that are thinking about, you know, potential careers in HR and people engagement and people management. John, we step back for a second. What's the biggest trend that you're seeing in HR today? Oh, it's pretty scary. <laughs> and, and well, I think everybody knows this past two years has been absolutely tumultuous. And there are some, you know, in every crisis, there's an opportunity. And in this crisis of the COVID era, I believe the opportunities that we're seeing are to advance uh, more progressive workplace practices that we probably should have done anyway. Uh, the world is changing and, and people don't like change. And I think the, the trend towards remote workplaces and flexibility and quality of work life and employee-centric organizations, and I could go on and on and on, but they all drill down to the employee is the boss. And, and if you don't recognize that, then you don't deserve to be in business and you won't be. Uh, so that is the trend that I think is the most dramatic, and it's, it's been exacerbated or accelerated, I should say, by the, by the pandemic, because we really had to. Uh, and there are some real challenges for a lot of, you know, more tenured managers and leaders in organizations who really don't like this change that's going on right now in terms of, you know, Zoom meetings and, and everything being flexible and part-time, you know, in the office and hybrid workplaces. And it's, it's hard. It's hard for people who have been in the organizations as long as I have to, to reconcile with that dramatic change. I don't think we're ever going back to what we were pre-COVID. So you mentioned a couple of things in there, hybrid uh, and remote and different age groups in the workplace right now. And, you know, whenever I think about change, that's the only thing that's for certain, right? <laughs> Everything right. else uh, is kind of up in the air. Let's dig into that piece a little bit more. Remote culture, something that's paramount. And you talked about it in a few of your books. John, what does remote culture mean to you? Well, it means you have to have trust. 
And it's funny because that's one of my mantras all my career was, was the more policies and procedures and rules you have in an organization, the less trust there is. You can't regulate and control and police. That's where the word policy comes from and police everything and everyone. So I think this new remote culture is going to be based on, on the pre premise of trust of your employees and your team that they're getting results. You know, I, I was never an advocate of, of paying just for butt time. Uh, you know, that, that does not mean productivity. It just means you stayed in the office. And uh, I think you can be productive and, and flexible and all the other things with hybrid and remote workplaces, but you have to have strong trust between the leadership and, and the soldiers. And uh, in, the, the process is not that hard if you get down to it. If you have metrics for performance, you can measure a person based on what they produce, not on how many hours they sat in an office. Yeah, and I bet that's changed a lot over time. I, I just had to look up the Agile Manifesto, uh, something that I learned uh, as I was getting educated in HR, individuals and interactions over processes and tools. And I think you'd agree that, you know, mm -hmm. good culture beats, broke, beats broken processes for lunch any, any day of the week. So uh, I'm with you right there. Um, dig in a, maybe one step further on remote culture. You said there's a little bit around process, but if there's one or two tips uh, that you might recommend when it comes to building trust, you know, what's something that we can try out, John, uh, you know, to, to kind of make remote culture a possibility or even just to dip our toe in it? Um, if, if we're doing nothing today? Well, that's a good question. Well, I'm trying to come up with a good answer here. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. And we'll come back to that one if, if you want. Um, but just, just wanted to throw it out there, always thinking like, whoa, yes, yes, yes. But then it's always, what, what can I take away from this with me, right? Uh, yes, yes. But it goes back to kind of what I said before, it's all in results. And, and I would hope to think that managers and leaders and, and executives want results in their organization that's that's their job uh, and so i think that is probably the key metric that that we have to look at when we have remote or hybrid workplaces today and and not necessarily having to monitor you know every move and every hour and and, and every action uh, so and that's that's not it shouldn't be that hard it really shouldn't be it's harder for for people who are stuck in their mindset of, of the pre-COVID world and just don't want to change. Yeah. So whenever we think about stuck in the mindset and kind of pre-COVID, pre in COVID, post-COVID, uh, it all comes down to the people. Absolutely. Right? And there's some statistics out there that workplace engagement's at an all-time low. It's gone up, down, and all around, actually, during the pandemic. Uh, but whenever we think about that remote culture, engaging the workforce is such a crucial, crucial piece of that. So John, what do you do uh, to engage your people? What have you done? What have you seen be successful throughout your career? Well, in particularly during this, this period of the COVID uh, situation, I think you still, now that it's legal to go out and be with people and not necessarily have masks, I think we still need to have socialization with our people. It doesn't even have to be work oriented. And I was a strong believer in the last 10 years of uh, when I was CEO of the Greater Pittsburgh Auto Dealers, we were trying to embark on a major culture change in the organization. And 
we had a powwow every single morning uh, over coffee. It wasn't it was it wasn't all work. It was some small talk and some laughter and and you watch this on TV last night and and to get to know the people beyond just the job, and that's hard to do on a Zoom. Uh, so I do agree with the necessity to have some periodic real life time together, uh, whether it's, you know, something fun or something work or a, a blend of both. But uh, it was always wonderful to walk out of a morning coffee meeting or a powwow or whatever you want to call it and know what happened yesterday that went well, what didn't go well, what are we doing today and what are we doing tomorrow? And everybody's on the same page mentally. And, and I think that's what builds trust, too. Is, is to have the transparency of communication in those lead in those meetings with all levels of people, not just the executive suite. Uh, you know, we we've talked, I think you and I, Pete, have talked before about the, the three, the what, the how, and the why. And, and that's a huge one. So many, I won't call them leaders, I'll call them managers, think all they have to do is tell people what needs to be done or what needs to change. And then they wonder why it doesn't happen. And they, they never bothered with the why or the how. Uh, and the, you really should start with the why. The why is the motivation. And I have seen so many things that we did in this last organization that I, I led that would have never happened had my team not come to the own, their own conclusion about the necessity for the change, rather than me telling them we need to change. And uh, it was not, it was revolutionary. It really was. I mean, it was an old 90-year-old organization that was tired and, and lost their way and, and was not profitable. And, and it's, it's, all of that has turned around. And it wasn't me. It was the people who were willing to help lead the change. Start with why. I think that's uh, Simon Sinek's book, right? Pretty, pretty impactful. And uh, there's, a, a, I think, probably a couple times every week. It all comes back to the why. And I think it's also something that fuels uh, our kind of inner motivation, right? And if so we understand about, the why, yeah. Yeah, think about when, when someone does it, an organization says, we need to change this. And the people leave the meeting and they are, all, what do you think they're thinking? Why? It's, it, that's a, the first question that's coming into their head is why? And if we don't tell them why or lead them to the why, any gap in communication is filled with negativity and suspicion. So the, the if you are not transparent and you are not straightforward and not in alignment with the people that have to make the changes, then it's going to be strewn with, with second guessing and, and what ifing and, and resistance. So, John, uh, I studied engineering uh, in school, and my dad used to build houses when I was growing up. So foundations are paramount to everything. And whenever we talk about starting with why, uh, you mentioned building trust, all about engaging people to, you know, con continue improve on that culture and remote culture if it needs to be. And I, I've, you know, started rereading some of your books over here. So we know we can trust you because, <laughs> you know, you, you've been, been there, done that, uh, you know, been through the trenches. And you shared some of those best practices with individuals uh, in, you know, weirdos in the workplace and get weird. We'll touch on the third one in a little bit. But John, tell us a little bit more about how do you build trust and respect with your people? Laying this foundation is paramount for anything to be built upon it. What, what, what do you do? What works for you? Uh, well, painful truth. Uh, you know, you don't just tell people what you think they want to hear or uh, honesty. 
I mean, it, we used to do an exercise on just a flip chart, a T, a T chart, and I would put the word manage above the, the left-hand column, no, marriage, I'm sorry, and, and would say, what, is the, what are the characteristics of a strong and healthy and, and, and good marriage? And the, almost without fail, it would be trust, communication, sense of humor, forgiveness. Uh, and so we list all these different characteristics of a good marriage, and then I would write the word manage on the other side. And we would tick off almost every one of those descriptors are the same. It's a relationship. And if you don't have a good relationship with your people, you probably don't have a good relationship with your spouse. Uh, I'm just willing to bet because you don't communicate, you can't be trusted. <laughs> just, just tick them off. And, and, and it really just boils down to, to relationship building. And I think the root of that is caring. You know, if you care about people's quality of life at work and at home, and, and you care about, you know, how hard some change is going to be, people will, be, will rally with you rather than just being a dictator. Uh, so that, to me, is, is the core characteristics. So we didn't know that we were signing up for some dating advice. Harry's counseling. There's a lot. So you're telling me that if I do stuff in the workplace, some of it's going to translate to, to home? It's yeah, not so like I, I just do it when I'm, when I'm working and getting paid? Unless you're two people. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense, right? Be a genuine individual. Uh, caring is at the root of everything. You mentioned that trust piece a couple more times. And whenever we think about those relationships inside of work and outside of work, they all start somewhere. So whenever you think about your first you know, relationship at work, right, at PPG, whenever you were getting started, what do you remember from those first couple of days? How did you build that foundation? And how did your leadership help you build that foundation? And, you know, maybe were there some areas that looking back, what could have been done differently from your perspective, from their perspective, always improving, always continuously improving. But John, what do you remember from those first couple of days of your professional career? Well, in your first couple of days, you're pretty intimidated. At least I think you should be. Uh, otherwise, you probably think you know more than you do. Uh, but I've always looked for the person above me who I respected for whatever reason. Maybe it may not have been their management style that I respected, but their knowledge and their their institutional memory. And so I would always try to tap into, you know, emulating those who are have gone before me and have been successful. Uh, it goes back to what I said before, you know, listen more than you talk ask questions and not tell. Uh, so th those are the principles that I tried to use. Uh, and honestly, you got to love your job. If you don't love what you do, then you need to change jobs or directions or something, because it's not the pay or, or the benefits that gets you out of bed in the morning, fired, fired up and wanting to, wanting to go to work. It's what you, it's, what's it like to work there. And, and so you, you really need to assess whether you're even in the right position or the right organization, because if you're not motivated by a desire to, to work there, it doesn't matter what you're paid or what your benefits are or anything else. So it's, it's, it's in being in the right place and the right path. You mentioned, uh, you know, getting out of getting out of bed in the morning and being fired up. It's almost like you're talking about your why again, right? So as, as far as thinking about going through, uh, you know, your professional career, 
that you have some different routines and rituals uh, for yourself or for other individuals? Did you connect them, uh, you know, said emulate those who have been in your shoes before? Almost sounds like a mentor. Um, did you try and, you know, kind of do a little bit of matchmaking or a buddy system uh, kind of for your curated onboarding process? But then, you know, one step further, is any rituals or routines that you had as, as an individual, John? I don't know if I would call them rituals or routines, but I was always a believer that you don't have to wait for a mentor to uh, find you or, or uh, just arrive. You can appoint one. <laughs> and, and I really did that, uh, especially when I, after grad school, when I started my business, there was a certain individual who was way ahead of me in, in that new profession I was pursuing. And I just reached out to him and called him. And I said, I really admire your work. I'd like to, you know, I'm doing research on the baby boomer value system. And he had done research on generational differences in the workplace. And this man was so generous with his time. And he, he sent me every, every uh, recorded presentation he'd ever done. He sent me his books. He had me come out to his home in Arizona and shadow him. And all I did was tell him I admired his work and I wanted to be, be like him. And so I would tell people that you don't, don't wait for a mentor to appear. It's great if it happens. And it's even better if it's your immediate you know, uh, leader in your organization. But if there's someone in your field who you really emulate or really would aspire to be like, it's amazing if you could just pick up the phone or write a letter, or I guess today you could email or text. But uh, it, it's, I think many people are are very generous with, you know, if, if they feel like you, tr you respect them and, and you uh, trust them. Going back to why, going back to trust, caring, being genuine, the honesty piece, communication, it's, it's, it's all coming together in these repetitive things. Just be yourself, right? At Lockheed Martin, we used to say, work hard, uh, that's right, respect others and perform with excellence. That's what we always said. And it seems like those uh, kind of key values are applicable no matter what industry you're in. So, John, as, as we're getting ready to wrap up, you know, is there anything else that you'd like to share with this HR community? Um, any other tips that you might give to, to them as people are kind of at the beginning, middle or end of their professional career? And, you know, maybe any tip in there that you might give your, your younger uh, self along the way as well? Yes. And, uh, and it, it's, it kind of comes full circle from what you just mentioned a second ago. And I had a model called AIM. And it's a, a Venn diagram, the three circles that meet in the center and the intersection of your abilities, your interests, and the market. That's the aim. And, and if any one of those three components is lacking or is, is wrong, you will not be successful. You will not be happy. You will not be productive. Find what you do well, abilities. Find what you like, interests, which means some kind of culture, the kind of field you're in or whatever it might be. And then... Who will pay you for that? The market. Uh, so, you know, some things you do because you're doing them well. And, you know, if you're a great musician and you uh, love to play music, you may not get paid for it. So it's not going to be a career. It might be an avocation or a hobby. But when you find the intersection of what you are strong in and your skill set and what you love to do and in an organization that needs that combination, it's not a job anymore. It's a calling. I was trying to find the uh, 
aim diagram in your book because I, I remember I remember seeing it. It's in, uh, it's, in but, it's in weirdos in the workplace. Uh-huh. See, I should have done more of my homework to understand <laughs> where this was located. Shame on me. But we'll, okay. we'll get better. We'll get better for next time, John. That's okay. No, that's well. We'll we'll put a link in the in the chat for that. So as we get ready to to wrap up and um, you know, so we we shared kind of the advice to your younger self. Uh, but what's a book recommendation uh, that you might suggest to people listening? Well, it's it's an old book, and I when I started out again when I changed my direction, and I bought this book for a lot of people going through personal challenges in their life, whether it was in the marriage or in their career, and it's called The Road Less Traveled. And it's a, it's a classic, M. Scott Peck. And it was on the bestseller list for years and years. It's a timeless book about embracing change. And a lot of the things that I guess I kind of have as my principles of, of life ever since I read that book, it was, it was almost life-changing for me. Uh, but it, it's a really easy read, but it's an eye-opener. And where, where's that old saying come from? The more things change, the more they remain the same. And is that I don't know where that applicable? Yeah, it probably is. It probably so you and hearing more of your story today. And so on behalf of the, the P4 podcast uh, and our sponsors, you know, thank you. And uh, we look forward to continuing to grow with you as we continue on this journey. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm honored to be back with the PHRA. Executive Director. At the Pittsburgh HR Association, our mission is to empower HR professionals and people managers to create best-in-class workforces and workplaces by enhancing HR skills, knowledge, developing business acumen, and increasing leadership capacity. The P4 podcast was created to help build HR leaders through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factors of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers. Until next time, thank you for watching and listening.